Hello and welcome to European Pharmaceutical Reviews podcast. In this episode, we're discussing how innovative technologies and digitalization are shaping the microbiology lab of the future. And I'm thrilled to be joined by Sophie Bales, Associate Director for Digital Transformation, and Miriam Guest, Principal Microbiologist, Pharmaceutical Technology and Development, both from AstraZeneca. My name is Hannah Balfour. I'm the science writer at European Pharmaceutical Review, and I will be your host today. Digitalization is shaping the future of every global industry, and the pharmaceutical sector is no exception. A diverse array of technologies have emerged to enhance industrial processes, from the Internet of Things to artificial intelligence, machine learning, and virtual reality. In this episode, Miriam and Sophie will discuss how such innovations are being implemented in the microbiology lab to enhance pharmaceutical sterility and ensure patient safety. So hi, Miriam and Sophie. Thank you for joining me today. To start us off, why don't you introduce yourselves and tell our audience a little bit about your current roles and industry experience. So hi, I'm Sophie Bales. I've actually been in the industry for 18 years, 13 of which have been at AstraZeneca. So my background is as an analytical chemist, but for the last three years, I have been leading digital transformation programmes across pharmaceutical technology and development. So this is looking at all aspects of how we use our data to do more predictive modelling and reuse data so that we can then gain insights through things like machine learning and advanced algorithms. I'm Miriam Guest, a Principal Microbiologist in New Modalities and Parentals Development. I first started at AZ as a, a graduate back in the year 2000 and I spent most of my time in microbiology but I've also spent some time in formulation science and aseptic processing so I've, I've had a nice exposure to a range of activities that are connected to microbiology. More recently, I've been leading our technology strategy, so looking to uplift our microbiology labs across the global AZ network, supporting sterility assurance and looking at how we can standardise ways of working using new technologies to mitigate risk, such as data integrity or people present a risk to our testing as well. So it's been a really exciting time in the last sort of five to six years where we are seeing technology advances in these spaces. So Miriam, we've both been in industry for some time now. What do you think are the the most significant changes that you've seen in the microbiology lab since you first started? So when I think back to when when I first started, you know, walking into the micro lab for the first time and and getting my training, you know, you start off with your training, watching people doing the, the testing that they're trained to do. They're sharing their knowledge of how to do the tests, what are the important aspects that they see in testing. Then we may read some SOPs, quite a big folder of SOPs that were printed on paper back in the day. Read those SOPs and and look at a training programme. From there, you'd start shadowing your trainer. You'd be looking at what they're doing and, and copying them and then eventually move into independent testing without them. So you may be transferring broth to demonstrate you've got good aseptic practices. But what's been really exciting recently is is the advent of virtual reality for this training program. We've got the virtual reality platform. We've applied that for our microbiology labs and our sterile manufacturing personnel. So the aseptic processing. And what's really powerful is that it allows us to see things that we can't see. So <laughs> as an example, airflows are really critical for 
aseptic processing and microbiology testing, but you can't see air. Some of us will have been fortunate enough to see smoke visualisation, which we need to do to demonstrate our airflows are, are good and sound in aseptic processing, but not many people will have been involved in those. The virtual reality platform allows you to see the air. It allows you to force the failures. You'll be able to see the flow of the air, and if you intercept the air with your hand, it will show what that could mean for an airflow pattern and you can have bounce back from the, the base of a cabinet for example in sterility testing and you'd never see that without virtual reality you never get that concept so to be able to start your training in this virtual platform allows you to see where those critical mistakes could compromise your testing or in the case of aseptic processing where it could compromise your aseptic process so to instill that learning that foundation level that Everyone has the same knowledge to before they even start. You're not relying on people to tell you the important bits because the important bits are there and really clear to see and standardised. That is a, a big area where I, I can see we've made a, a huge step forward that will really enhance our processes, ensure our personnel are performing tests in an appropriate manner to minimise the risk of cross-contamination. Now, I totally agree. If I look at, you know, how I, the labs have changed across different areas of pharmaceutical development um, since I started, you know, there are some huge changes such as VR, augmented reality as well has started to come in. So that's where you can be more aware of your surroundings. You just have a perspex screen in front of your face where you can actually then not only see different instructions for certain tests, but it means you can actually also automatically link into things like Teams and then talk to people you know across our global network so this is really useful especially when we have very complex experiments or very complex bits of kit that you may need specialist support with and actually the the person on the other end of the line can even draw onto the view that you sit, you have in front of you which is quite odd the first time it happens but it's just so useful to then transfer that information and as I said being able to connect to anybody globally means that you know our specialists can then support people directly in the lab without having to physically be there. I think with the augmented reality that's really powerful for aseptic processing so back when I was doing my environmental control officer role one of the biggest challenges is if something goes wrong in production and you need an engineer to support. So we'd have engineers that were trained in aseptic counting, but they weren't routinely going into these areas and, and routinely adopting good clean room behaviours. So it would always be a major deviation. We'd have to supervise gowning, for example, and mitigate those risks, take extra samples. But if you could use a technology where you didn't actually have to bring an engineer into a, a clean room and do it with augmented reality where they're, they're speaking to that person, you can see that that would be really powerful to save a lot of time, but also ensure fixes are, are done quickly. You know, you don't have to wait to book an engineer in. You can just call them up on Teams and have that augmented reality to assist whatever needed to be done. So I think that's an area that I think will really enhance our aseptic processing and enhance our sterility assurance. Yeah, I guess that's a really interesting point because one of the, you know, one of the key areas for contamination in, in sterile environments is going to be people. So one of the things that we use in, in different areas of pharmaceutical development are cobots and robots that actually can replace some of those activities. And, you know, especially for a sterile environment, I could see there could be real advances there that you can minimise the number of people that you need in those rooms. 
Absolutely. And we are seeing people using cobots to automate things, activities that are routine. So your environmental monitoring and switching out plates, can a cobot do it instead of a person, which would prevent as many interventions into critical zones because you've automated it, essentially, certainly. And having those processes done by a cobot or a robot or an automated way, it standardizes how they're done. So it reduces the subjectivity and the slight nuances of change that you can get from people to people. And a cobot knows when it's made a mistake, whereas a person doesn't always know it's made a mistake. You know, I'm sure a lot of us have driven along at 32 miles an hour and not realised they've done that. But if you set your speed limiter on to 30 miles per hour, you will stay at that speed limit. So much the same way in our manufacturing environments, you know, we have to move in a slow and purposeful way. And we don't always know if we, we're not doing that, but a cobot will. You know, So th- those advantages are really powerful. Absolutely. And I think that the quality of data being collected as well. I mean, you talked at the start about data integrity. If we think about the way a cobot would collect data, it would be consistent every time. And it removes a lot of the extra data governance that we have to put around those places. And, you know, especially when we're looking at things like imaging. So one of the areas that we see in chemistry is looking at crystal formation for for images in solution. And actually, you know, over time, we've been able to build up a really large library of that formation using cobots and using consistent approaches to that imaging, which means now we can actually use a machine learning algorithm through through a neural network in deep learning in order to actually identify that crystal formation much earlier than a human can. You know, by having that really consistent approach to the way the data is collected means that we can then start to use some of these more advanced algorithms to interpret and predict from that data. I'm going to pick on two themes there that that you've mentioned, that automation, that standardisation. So one area where we have successfully applied automation is our endotoxin testing. And when we were looking at what the network were doing in endotoxin testing, we had one site that was already automated. And actually the data was so powerful about their invalid sample rate compared to the sites that had people doing the, the test setup. So you know, our worst case site, they were getting up to 20% of runs being invalidated. Whereas the site that we're automating, it was less than 2%. So that is really powerful because an invalid test is going to cause you problems because you've got to repeat it. If you can reduce how many invalid tests you get, you can save time, be more efficient and focus your microbiologists on areas where they can really add value. So that's one area of automation. And of course, we'll see advances in automation in other tests such as sterility and bioburn testing as we move forward and and cobots become more accessible. The other point that you made was on the the, uh, machine learned algorithm, for example, for digital imaging using advanced digital imaging. There's so much we can do with that now that we couldn't do 20 years ago. So, for example, being able to see how microbes behave in real time, something I wouldn't have believed we could have done when I was 21, you know, (laughs) but now we can. And those techniques, not only will they allow us to understand our processes better, to be able to better control them and see the risk points. So, for example, spore germination. You know, if we can see that that can or can't happen in our process, we can control it appropriately. But also in terms of getting results in real time. So a bioburn sample before a sterilising filter, for 
is one as if I can see in real time that I've got bacteria growing in there. I know that I've got a problem and I can react to it. So how we apply these technologies is going to be interesting as we move to the future because it is a paradigm shift of, of sample test release. It, it's looking at that data set holistically to tell us what, how our product's behaving in that process. And the other area where I can see, there's a lot actually I can see with machine learning and advanced digital imaging, but a big area is our interpretation of environmental monitoring plates. So currently to support sterile manufacturing, you may have hundreds of agar plates that will be taken and sampled from the manufacturing area, incubated, and then someone will look at them and record the result. Now, looking at that result is very subjective in the first place. So I had an image of a settle plate, so an environmental monitoring sample, and I sent that to 20 microbiologists across AZ and asked them how many colony forming units would they report. And of those 20 microbiologists, I got six different answers. You know, I can't say which one was the right answer because of the subjective nature of microbiology. You know, you have merged colonies, overlapping colonies. How do you interpret that result? So when we're using machine learning, it's really important that we have the appropriate science and knowledge behind how we, we program it and teach the algorithm because that's going to be foundation. But then it allows us to focus our microbiologists on the samples that count. So instead of looking at 100 sterile plates, they can look at the ones where we've got incident and interpret it appropriately and spend more time focusing in their education and their energies on, on those samples that matter. So that's quite an exciting area that we're looking at. Absolutely. And you know, the point you made about making sure that we have that scientific insight in there is so important. I mean, if we look at some of these technologies that are transforming our industry at the moment, things like, you know, kind of the, the algorithms of computer science, you know, have been around for years. I remember, you know, doing my first coding on a BBC computer back in the 80s. But it's actually that bringing together of the knowledge that we have from our scientific insights and then layering on, you know, the better access to data. You know, you talked about that real-time access, real-time streaming, so you can understand what's happening in your process as it's happening. In addition, you know, kind of the, the way that we are streaming that data, so having sensors that allow us to drive digital twins of those processes means that we can pull all that data in together and understand it. I think there's the other area that's kind of advanced us so much in the last few years is the compute power. So being able to also see all this together and then drive those algorithms quickly enough to be able to keep up with the manufacturing so we can do it truly real time. But as you said, you know, it's like one of the questions I get asked a lot is going, well, are we going to replace people with kind of algorithms and cobots? And I think that understanding and that insight driven from the data is always going to be a human aspect of it. And it needs to come from both, you know, understanding the manufacturing process, understanding the computer science and the algorithms and the data, but also having that mechanistic understanding of the science so as we build our knowledge in this area, we need to make sure that, you know, we're always doing it within those three pillars so that the advances that we make continue to allow us to, to drive quality in our pharmaceutical medicines. A way we can do that when we move to that digital real time future state of, we, you know, we've got a perfect algorithm. An example in the aseptic processing area is we use a lot of glass. You know, we have glass vials, we have glass pre-filled syringes. And glasses 
cracks and it scratches. Fundamentally, we, we will have to deal with that. And obviously, there's a lot of ways to mitigate those those scratches. But one thing is is the visual inspection of 100% of a batch of glass vials. We're looking for scratches and various defects. But if you can filter out those before you fill them with products. So at your line, if you have an imaging system that can say, this file has a scratch, rejects it. So then you're not discarding product. So you can save a lot of valuable product that is predestined to our patient before you've filled it into a scratch file, which can help mitigate some of the risks. So being able to control drifts when they happen is going to be really powerful and, and allow us to get more medicines to patients which is what we're here for. Absolutely. It's that, like you say, it's that continuous monitoring and understanding. And I guess what we've talked about quite a lot is, you know, kind of how we're improving our existing processes currently with digital. And, you know, that's what I've seen in my role, especially like bringing together lean and digital, you know, in order to in, can do continuous improvements of the way we work now. However, you know, there is the other aspect of digital to really move into kind of that new design thinking and, and true digital innovation. So do you think there are areas in microbiology that, you know, could actually benefit from something completely novel and new? Absolutely. I think, you know, we've touched on the comment that some of our methods are from the Louis Pasteur era. You know, if Alexander Fleming walked into one of our micro labs, he'd recognise the dimensions of our agar plates. You know, we haven't really changed a million miles from where we were in the 1940s. You know, we've got barcodes on the side of our plates now, which is snazzy, and, and but I think we can go further. And one of the technologies in this space is the biofluorescence particle monitoring systems. So these are able to detect if there's a, the presence of, of viable microbes in the air. So in your critical production environments, historically, I would be doing an environmental batch review and this would take place you know, seven to 10 days after the manufacture when all the environmental monitoring samples or the water samples had come in and been read and incubated. But if we use biofluorescent particle counting in real time, my water system, I know if things have drifted and maybe I need to sanitise it before I use that water. In the air, in those critical production environments, if a biofluorescence particle counter can detect a microbial excursion, it can reject the units that were exposed at the time in real time. So there's no question of those units residing in the final batch. Whereas if I'm looking a week later at a settle plate result, I don't know which units were exposed at the time that this event happened. So you can really see the power that these technologies will allow us to interpret data in the real time and automate it so that there's no question at the end of that patch that the environment wasn't sound during the manufacture because that data tells us. I think there's a complementary space where we transition to these new technologies and we're using parallel testing or, or you know, we've got the appropriate procedures in place to support that novel data because things are new are a challenge for us. You know, we need to manage change appropriately. But I do think we're at a, a place where we'll be able to enhance all that robustness. And I totally agree. I think, you know, quite often people talk about it being the digital revolution, but to me, it's actually more of an evolution. So, you know, it, as we bring together the kind of our current knowledge, along with some of these new digital tools, 
and augment it with you know actually new ways of working it allows us to progress but like you say continuing to ensure the quality of our medicines for patients you know and we work in a highly regulated environment i sometimes think that you know pharmaceutical might be a little bit late to the game in digital because of that constraint but actually what we can do now is take the learnings from different industries you know at home i'm sure most people have you know fully integrated appliances and smart apps you know all of those things are available and now we're looking at how we can bring them in and really help us accelerate our, our development processes so that we can get you know jugs to the market much faster but also like as we said continue to deliver real robust products um, and quality products to all of our patients it's quite an exciting time isn't it to work in this area i mean you know i love my role and i'd be really interested to see what what the changes in the next 20 years are going to be do you reckon we could have another conversation about it then I think it'll be quicker. I think we're seeing a, a phase where we're accelerating so fast and accessibility to these technologies. I think actually in five years' time, if we had this conversation, there'll be technologies that we're looking at that don't exist today. We're really on that platform of the doors being blown open on how we can use digital in our quite traditional methods. Absolutely. And I think it is that, it's that connectivity and the access to that knowledge. Like you say, it is, it's not going to take another 20 years to have that step change. It will be much sooner. And I think that, you know, it does bring challenge. And certainly when we're looking at selecting technologies for the micro lab, we're following the science. We're looking at the most scientifically robust technology that we could use. However, sometimes the science and the software aren't in parallel. So we may have a great technology and great technology provider, but the software might not talk to a system that we're using to report. And and that working closely with digital people and people in IT architecture will help streamline those integrations of systems. But the future vision is, you know, we won't have paper trails following our samples for our microbial identification. You know, we'll have a slick system where we know the origin of that sample we know when it was collected we know what the microbial identification of that organism was we know what level of risk that may present to our product or process but making sure we get all of that connected isn't the easiest thing in the world but it's not impossible and we should you know we're well on our journey to do that which is exciting absolutely and i think that has been the next big challenge that we're looking at you know how we do how we have industry-wide standards not only for our data but like you say the connection of our instruments and software together there are standards that will be developed and and as we as we move forward especially as we move forward together as an industry we can help to align the most advantageous standard for all of us and then make sure that you know we can have that full interconnection of all our equipment and software so that we could you know we could have full data integrity of everything we do and certainly I think our regulators expect to see this as well you know they've been asking us to apply new technology for a long time they've given us frameworks to validate alternative micro methods it's not it doesn't feel like there's any challenge from the regulators they want to see us doing it and certainly that's the feeling I've got in those conversations where we've gone to the innovation centre to talk about a new technology. You know, the, the regulators, they're really interested and keen to see it. But ultimately, at the end of the day, we owe it to our patients. 
we want to get them high quality medicine on time as fast as you know in a reasonable way and robust and to do that we've got to transform how we do things and I think we're on a really exciting journey. We definitely are now and it's it's great to be on that journey and as and as you said you know it, it is around how we get those medicines to patients and as we're seeing more parentals come onto the market you know sterility assurance is going to be one of those key areas that we want to ensure they continue to maintain the quality. Unfortunately that's all the time we have to discuss today so thank you Sophie and Miriam for joining us and for sharing your experiences from implementing digitalization in pharmaceutical microbiology. It was absolutely fascinating to hear about how people's role is evolving in the lab and that technology will Im- it will augment and support experts to improve efficiency and patient safety rather than replace them. On behalf of European Pharmaceutical Review Miriam Guest and Sophie Bales, thank you for listening and we hope you join us for our next episode.